Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. We're going to pray, all right? And then we're just going to actually talk today. That's why the both of us are here. So, um, Jesus, we just honor you as uh, we love you. We thank you. Thank you that the one, you're the one in the room right now, the most important one. And I just pray, God, for open hearts and receptive hearts. And uh, God, that you really help people understand what you want said and done here and really own the things that you, as we speak, that they'd be your words and that the words that you want people to remember and, and how that should hit hearts, that you would be the one really helping people understand what we're going to talk about today. And uh, we just love you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for 2021. And thank you for 2020 and that we're still standing and we're here in 2022 looking forward to all the things you're going to do in our lives, through our church, through our families, through us, through workplaces and education, whatever people do. God, we just pray that 2022 would be such an amazing year for us all. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, so part of, part of the decision to even get some of those books, because we like to give books out to people, right? Yeah. We love to really help people, put tools in people's hands and yeah. help you um, grow, learn, grow in um, understanding. It can be any kind of topic to do with the Bible. And, um, but th- this book, it was uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and even what we're going to talk about today is kind of on this. Just a couple of weeks ago, in the middle of one of our meetings and... Um, I was on this side, someone else was worship leading, so I was off on the side here, and someone over on this side was waving to me, <laughs> as I barely keep my eyes open in worship, right, but I just happened to open my eyes, and someone was like, hey, <laughs> and I just went, oh, I think, think, that, think they're calling me, <laughs> so, so then I realised there was a thing, thing, there was just a lot of people congregated, and something was happening over there, so I just made my way over there pretty quickly, and found there was a man on the ground, now, um, we're talking about revival today, and we're talking today about what happens when God's presence comes into the room, okay? And the impetus for that is a little bit because of that day. The books that we just handed out is a little bit because of that day. And when God comes in the room in a very strong way or a powerful way, sometimes people get slain in the spirit. Sometimes, because the power of God is strong, the human is who moves. The human is who falls over. The human is who maybe starts to cry or starts to laugh or has some kind of an effect on the outside, right? And so on that day when that happened, I think there was um, a little bit of confusion because some people were like, what's going on? What's going on in the room right now? But really what had happened, that man was really um, being touched by God very, very powerfully. And so... Yeah, and that's what you mean by slain in the spirit. Anybody ever heard that word before? That's an old school word I grew up with. Um, but yeah, it just means that sometimes when we say when God shows up in the room, of course, God's omnipresent. He's everywhere, right? Yeah. But there's often a very tangible manifestation of his presence, which means um, there's a real awareness and sensation of his glory that actually shows up in the room. That although he's everywhere all the time, right? There is a manifestation of his specific presence right in that particular time, and he can touch people. Like we mentioned angels in the room, and I know some people are like, I didn't see an angel. doesn't mean it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. It's just that sometimes people are more aware of his presence than, than others are in that particular time. Some see angels, some don't. Some see uh, vivid colors of things that, that happen, and, and those are things of being able to see in the spirit. But when God sometimes shows up, And when we say shows up, it doesn't mean he wasn't there before. It just means there's a tangible manifestation of his presence happening in that time. It is overwhelming for people sometimes. And I know that when I have had the power of God touch me, there's moments when I feel like I'm losing control of parts of my body. That can be a little strange. That can be a little weird. Um, But if it's God that's doing it, then then it's good. And so what Romy's referring to happened looked very much like a medical incident. That's the challenge, right? You're like, oh my gosh. And we didn't know who this person was. I just met him the first time he had come here. But you're thinking, oh, he's had a heart attack. Something's happened. But the reality is he just was getting touched by the power of God. Yeah. So, so um, the, he was, people called ambulances and there's nothing wrong with that, right? But the first thing has got to be, Holy Spirit, what's going on here? 
before the immediate is the answer. The immediate answer is not call an ambulance. The immediate answer is, Lord, what should I do? And then maybe it's call an ambulance or maybe it's Holy Spirit is really doing something in the person over there. And... um, um, we, so we want to talk about we want to talk about what Clayton just mentioned. God is always around you, always here, always with you. Yes, He is. But there is also times when the Holy Spirit does come into a room in a very strong way, stronger than He is normally, and His presence is poured out in a way that becomes very tangible. Uh, it can feel like a heavy. A heavy blanket may have just been laying on you, or oxygen. This feels like, or your heart beats speeds up a little bit or you might feel this tingling in the atmosphere you start tingling or you your heart your heart rate speeds up you might get hot you might just feel your temperature rise all right so these are all things that um are sometimes happen and not always but sometimes happen when the holy spirit's presence increases because there is an increase in presence when he's sometimes trying to get your attention or often just in the place of corporate worship the holy spirit does come because when we stand together two or three there am I gathered in the midst. He comes in a greater way, right? Uh, his glory becomes manifest and he really wants to do this in our lives daily, individually, but especially corporately when we really join together and we're really exalting his name. The presence of God is something we should really expect and want and, 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 and look for, long for, right? We want God. We want those moments of strong, strong presence. So let me fast forward and tell you what happened, okay? So I went to visit this guy. His name's Lorenzo. I went to visit him in the hospital the next day. And yet after he got taken away in the ambulance, uh, every one of us, some were kind of like, I I think that might have just been God. I don't want to get it wrong. You know what I mean? But I actually think that might have just been God. So he goes, I I went to visit him in the hospital on Monday with another guy uh, from our church that actually brought him. And um, we went and walked in his room. I said, man, what's going on? He goes, man, they give me every test they can give me. I've sat in an MRI for 45 minutes. They've taken eight vials of blood, and they told me I must just have a touch of the COVID. That's what they told him, a touch <laughs> of the COVID. I love that. We don't know what it is, but we're just going to say this because we got to put something on the chart. And, it was um, a touch of God. <laughs> yeah. So he, he, he said that um, when one of the nurses said, can you explain to me when and how this happened, he told her the story, and she goes, I think you just got hit by the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and I said, well, Lorenzo, yeah. I think she's right. And so I had a chance to lead him to the Lord and told him the gospel. He gave his heart to Jesus. We prayed and saw him get delivered of some demons that had been oppressing him. That was actually a manifestation of this demon in the middle of worship that just could not sit still. And it manifested itself in the presence of God, which is what we were observing he got set free of that in the hospital room, and then I prayed that he would get filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we did, he and I both just started sweating profusely, like this intense heat, and he starts shaking. And he's like, why am I so hot, you know? And then the other two guys that were on the couch, they were like, why is it so hot in here? I'm, I'm like burning up. And I'm like, that's actually God. That's the presence of God that's now come into the room and is filling this man where demons were harassing him. He's now being filled with the Holy Spirit. The other guy, one of the other guys was one of his relatives that was sitting on the couch. He had no framework for this. So he's like, I don't know what's happening right now, but I'm on fire. And we're like, well, this is... So afterwards, we go down the lobby, and the guy that I was with prays for him. He gets delivered by a demon, and he gets filled with the Holy Spirit in the lobby of the hospital. And I'm just saying this because sometimes when God shows up in a room... It's going to look like one thing, but it's actually him. And so that's why we actually need discernment. The Bible calls one of the spiritual gifts the discerning of spirits. That means you know what's God and what's the devil, right? It's not the gift of suspicion. How many think the gift of discernment is like, you need to stay away from that guy. I'm not so sure about him. That's suspicion. That's not a spiritual gift, right? But the discerning of spirits means we'll be able to see things and go, ah, That's the Lord touching that person. Does that make sense? Because we want to get better at this, and we want to help you guys get better at this too so that we can respond appropriately. There was nothing inappropriate about our response to Lorenzo, but I just think if we had had known through the discerning of spirits what was happening, we could have saved ourselves a day and an ambulance ride and probably a giant hospital bill, right? And so that's what we want to do. Can can we give a little bit of... yeah? So I, uh, we're going to read some scripture. Yeah, I was going to get to some biblical. <laughs> okay. How many want some Bible now? It'd be good to. Yeah. yeah. 
not just hear our stories, but some Bible. We're going to share a pulpit. This is going to be interesting. You're taking up more space than me. No, I'm not. I'm not. Look, I've got a smaller Bible. Dang it. So, Acts 2. Better eyes. Acts, Acts 2. Chapter two. Yeah. So, um, I, know, I know very many of you will be quite familiar with this already. And um, Acts chapter 2. Oh, oh, you're so kind. Tiny Bible. Larry, you're making up for that big, extra big. hour of worship <laughs> you missed out on on New Year's Eve, Larry. <laughs> I'll do that so people can see me. Um, so uh, in, Acts, in Acts chapter 2, this is important. Um, mm. we, live, we live now in the New Covenant. We're part of um, the New Covenant. The New Covenant happened because Jesus became the final final sacrifice that would ever be needed for us and his blood that was shed ratified the new covenant because God in the Old Testament always made covenants with people through blood and so Jesus's blood was shed on the cross and it was the moment we now walked into humanity walked into the new covenant and at that point of the new covenant the holy spirit was poured out on all humanity whoever believes in jesus christ the holy spirit um, comes and makes his home in their lives right and the holy spirit is literally like a let out of jail actually because god really only could be amongst humanity permanently but shut away behind curtains in the holy of holies in the temple okay but the point where jesus died because a sinless man, perfect man in every way, finally paid the price for you and I and all of humanity. It was the point where the Holy Spirit right went, oh, good, now I'm free to really move around and be the one in charge. It's like anything that the devil had taken from Adam and Eve in the garden at that point was fully given back, right? So in Acts chapter 2, I'm going to start reading from Acts chapter 2, from verse 1. Uh, I'm reading from the NIV. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. This is an important word. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house and where they were sitting. And it's a suddenly moments because God comes in sometimes into the room suddenly. And so there can be a difference of a feeling. You can feel different because you've just walked into the atmosphere of, of like someone else has been worshipping and you've walked into an atmosphere that they've created. Or Holy Spirit just suddenly drops in a meeting and there's a suddenly moment where you feel a shift has happened, okay? Okay, verse 3. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I won't keep reading much more, but I will just say this. There's words here. It says, they all heard the sound. They were in bewilderment. They were utterly amazed and astounded. Everybody heard the disciples declaring. Verse, verse uh, 11 says, they heard them declaring in, with the wonders of God in their own tongues. Verse 13 says, some made fun of the people who were filled with the Holy Spirit because the people who were filled with the Holy Spirit weren't acting like sober people. They looked a bit drunk, right? And so people were saying, are these people drunk? Have they had too much wine? And why is that? Because the Holy Spirit's presence came in such a powerful way. Physical manifestations were happening in the room and some people would have been laughing. And some people would have been lying on the floor. And all of that is all okay, right? And so this is in your Bible. I'm reading this portion of Scripture so you understand. This is to be, you know, not our normal like as, uh, you know, you're at work laid out on the floor. I don't mean that. But I mean in the place where you are allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to you and, and, and fill you, sometimes he's going to um, do things that are going to make you sometimes laugh or sometimes just experience great joy or sometimes just experience you might start crying because he's just come upon you. And so that can happen in these meetings, just as we're talking about one situation where a man did fall over and um, there was something starting to manifest out of him, right? Because he wanted to give his life to Jesus and be free. Yeah. And so there was a little bit of a wrestle over someone's life when something like that happens. And so these, these experiences in the Holy Spirit are really normal. They're to be our normal. They're not to be something that we run away from or shy from. Or, by the way, look on saying... Are they drunk? Because it was the religious people who stood looking on saying, are they drunk? They shouldn't be laughing that loud. 
And part of the reason why is because they just had no framework for it. They had never seen anything like that before. So they're looking at something and judging it based upon what they know. They know that the only thing that fits in my framework for what's happening is they must be drunk, right? But Ephesians 5.18 says not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So obviously, drunkenness is just a counterfeit for the real yeah. filling of the Holy Spirit. That verse, by the way, isn't about don't be drunk. That is part of it. But finish the verse, but be filled. Because we don't put up with counterfeits. We want the real deal. That means if the Holy Spirit comes on me and God touches me in a way and I somehow momentarily lose control of my body and laugh or shake or cry or whatever it is, I'm open to it. I'm okay with that because if it's God doing it, I want the real deal. I don't want to inhibit him and I don't want to fake it. Now, sometimes when people get hit by the power of God, they, they fall on the floor and they, and they laugh. That's, that's something that happened uh, Romeo will talk a little bit about some revival history that's happened and some of the manifestations that happened. Yet I've also seen people that lie on the ground and laugh, hoping that God will touch them if they do. There's a cause and effect here. Just because I laid on the ground and laughed doesn't mean God's going to touch me, right? But if God touches you and you end up on the ground laughing, let him do it. Do you see the difference between the two? You can't fake it. You, you, there's no need to, first of all. Yeah. And the manifestation of God's power in you may look very different to you than it does to someone else. Yeah. Is that okay? And I'm just saying, if God's going to touch you, and we're going to talk about how you get to the place where you allow God to touch you, then let him have his way and do what he wants to. I know for me, I, like I'm 6'8", I'm right? I'm a, I'm a tall guy. And, and so, I, believe it or not, growing up, I thank God I played basketball because I was always around other tall people. But I know there's moments when I feel like all eyes are on me. You know what I mean? From being tall, you're like, oh, my gosh, you're so tall. And then it just it's hard to walk through a room unnoticed, right, just because of my size. And so that would create a little bit of insecurity in me where the idea of God touching me and being on the ground laughing, forget it. I don't want God. Can you do it? Sure, you can. I believe you can. But do it to them, not to me. Right? I'll maybe a little chuckle, maybe one tear once a year, but do not put me on the ground and make a fool of me. I wasn't telling God that, but I was thinking that. I was thinking, God, you can have your way in me. And then I would see people. I'll tell you what, 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 what bothered me was I would see people and I would think, for sure, they are just putting this on. Like they're doing this maybe in hopes that God will touch them. But that does not look like a legitimate touch of God to me. And in reality, I'm thinking, well, if they're hungry for the touch of God and I'm judging their hunger, which one of us is closer to being right, you know? And so it took me getting in some environments that were so far out of my comfort zone when it came to the manifestations in the Holy Spirit and people. I mean, people being touched and flying across the room stuff. And I, Yasmina was there, and I'm just like, I'm sitting there going, Lord, I'm trying. I'm trying. I really am. I'm open to it, but I'm kind of not, you know what I mean? And, and you know, it's, it's like, yeah, I want to open up, open up my Bible and have this crazy revelation from the Word come to me, and I want you to show up in power, but, whew. And I realized when Jesus told his disciples, who were trying to keep little children from coming to him. He said, unless you come to me like one of these, you'll actually never be a part of the kingdom. And the thing about these little children who were coming, they were coming, coming unhind, un, unhindered, unencumbered. They, they weren't letting any ideas of how they looked stand in the way of getting there to Jesus. And then Jesus turns around and says, anyone who causes one of these little ones to stumble on account of me, it'd be better for them to have a millstone put around their neck and drop to the bottom of the sea. That's a pretty harsh rebuke. And you know what the Lord spoke to me? He said, when you are criticizing those who really want to touch from me, those are the little children that are coming to me because they're not letting what other people think about them get in the way. And so don't you keep people from coming to me by your judgment of them because you don't want that to happen to you. 
And I tell you, I got on my knees and I repented. And I said, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm willing to lose my dignity to get whatever it is that you have for me. I'm not going to try to make a fool of myself because making a fool of yourself doesn't bring the power of God. But I'm willing to, if it's what you need from me, that I'm willing to lose my inhibitions. I'm willing to lose my dignity. I'm, I'm willing to give because my honor and my righteousness and my dignity, they're of no good anyway. But if I want your power, then I've got to be willing to give up the way I think this is going to go. And sometimes I feel like we approach God thinking, God, I want you to touch me, but it needs to be like this. Sometimes that comes from past hurts from other people that have betrayed you and wounded you. And so when you see God as this authority figure, you want to approach him, but with your boundaries. Can I tell you that approaching God is the only person that you can approach with no boundaries? Boundaries don't work for him. He'll honor your boundaries. But you don't need to have boundaries with him. You can come to him like a child and say, I just I want all of you and you've got all of me. And let him do what he wants to do. In Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost, there were 120 people gathered in that room that were willing to say, God, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. And by the way, they had no idea what that was going to look like when the Holy Spirit came. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to send a helper, and it's going to come like tongues of fire. You're going to hear the rushing of a mighty wind. You're all going to speak another language. Everyone's going to think. He didn't say that. He said, just wait until I send the helper. They didn't know what was going to happen. But they were willing to say, whatever this thing is, Jesus promised it. It's for every believer, and I want whatever he's got. Yeah, so his, my story is a little bit different because I was um, having experiences in the Holy Spirit as a little kid, um, but all the people around me, all the adults in the room or my family and even the church that I was at didn't have language to help me or agreed to help me. And so I just was having these experiences and no one to talk to. But I finally, and this is the grace of God, right? When I was 14, I landed in a church that was in revival because he's just so great. Like he knew what I needed. So he just, he'll do that, right? He'll just, if you just have that willingness just to obey him and do what he's wanting you to do, he's going to bring you along the track that he has for you. So at 14, I landed in this church and it was very normal, the prophetic and healing and um, being slain in the spirit or just that it was a church in revival. And um, so even in our youth, we were having incredible um, encounter with the Lord. And so it was, it was, I was raised in it. So what you're raised in is normal for you, right? So we realize that we have two different stories and people come to this with very different um, expectation, mindset. Um, and so I remember in my 20s, um, there was a, a youth, a youth, like a retreat that we went on and um, the youth pastor, um, I was in the room bef before anybody else was because I'm just wired this way. So I go and just pray early first, right, and, and have done that. And so I was up at 7 and the meeting wasn't started until 9. So I was just in Scripture sitting and reading some, um, some stuff about how much God loves people. And then I sat there and I just started crying, weeping and couldn't get out of the chair for quite a long time. But then I went, ah, oh, young people are coming because I was one of the youth leaders. Um, and so young people are coming. So try to pull myself together as best you can. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then the young people came in, the band came in, and, and they started trying to do the first song. But the presence of God in the room was so strong that the musicians could not stand up and play their instruments. And even so the youth pastor... He, because I'm sitting like in the middle of the room, it's sort of at the back, right, but in the middle of the seat, sitting area. And the youth pastor, he gets up and he tries to stand up and tries to start talking and, and say something with the microphone and couldn't. Like literally, he just goes, oh, I can't do this. And he put the microphone back down and he went down and lay on the ground under the presence of, in, but under, like you, it's the, the down low heart posture, getting low before the Lord. And he just sat down and he got really low before the Lord. And just, and for the whole, I don't know how many hours, it would just, in the whole room would just wave after wave of the presence of God would just move on people's hearts. And one section of the room would be, be laughing, a very beautiful, joyous laughter. And then another section of the room would just start crying. <laughs> and it was just wave after gentle wave of just the beautiful presence of the Holy Spirit in the room. And so that was when I was about 24. And um, 
it's, it's a funny thing because I'm sitting in, we're sitting in a room here right now with people and everybody has different ideas and different thoughts of what this should look like, right? And, and even in a place like that where there was a very obvious, very strong anointing, the Holy Spirit was there, people could not stand up, half of those people are not walking with the Lord today and half of them are. So what, is the, what goes on? Like, how is that possible? How do you have such strong, strong encounter, the Holy Spirit poured out like that, and some people sit there and just go, or years later, just go, well, I had that one time, but I'm not sure that I really want that. It, it's, it's a hard thing to have to, to, have to realise I've got friends that had experiences, that was just one, had experiences like that and just sat as observers to the thing that the Holy Spirit was doing. And I pray that we'd be a church that are never just observers. I pray that we'd be a church that is everything sold out for Jesus, bought in, right? There's a scripture that talks about um, when, you, when you find that pearl of great price, you go away and sell the whole of your life, anything that was worth it for anything of value, just to go and purchase the pearl, that one, that one thing of great price. And that is Jesus, right? It is Jesus is worth giving everything and all and bowing your heart to every part of you, the ego, the pride, um, and getting low and living very childlike, like Clayton just mentioned. And the adults, we use the word humble, like humble yourself before the Lord and don't sit bored with God. Uh, how can we sit bored with God who, who literally is the one that the son obeys since the one time the son was told to do his job? The sun, the sun, the bright sun. Yeah, S-U-N. Oh. <laughs> so that, well, that's not even Australian to American no, translation. <laughs> Sorry, there's this constant joke of, that's Australian. You said it Australian. There's two Lost ways in to translation. say it, the right way and the Australian way. Like, it's, it's, it's don't, like, humble yourself. <laughs> humble yourself. If you feel bored with God, if you feel a bit checked out, when we're worshipping, humble yourself because you're realising Jesus is the one in the room and he has something so great for you to step into when you sometimes just go, I'm sorry that I've had a divided heart. I'm sorry that I've been a little bit distracted or my affections or my attentions have been divided because it is you that I love, Jesus, and I want to give everything that I am to you. That's right. Great. What we're actually talking about is, is revival. And so what we experienced a couple of weeks ago, um, it, there's going to be much much more and so get used to it right and Rumi's going to share just some 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 moments in history where God's outpouring of the Holy Spirit has been so pervasive that they call it a, a revival and there's been a couple of times in history where that's actually happened but I think sometimes like if you grew up like me maybe your understanding of revival is a little different. I thought revival was when you got a tent and put it up somewhere and invited a dynamic preacher to come preach every night for seven straight nights and, and hopefully people get saved. And I guess that is one definition of it, but the Bible speaks a little bit differently about what revival looks like. And I realized that, you know, you think, you read the book of Acts. How many of you have read, like Acts chapter two, the stuff that Romy just read? And by the way, continue to read the book of Acts. It's amazing. Like some of the incredible supernatural encounters, like on that same day, 3,000 people got added to the church and baptized in one day. How many would love to see that? I'd love it. And, and yet there were just incredible miracles. I mean, Peter's shadow would go across somebody and they would get healed. That's pretty cool. Paul <laughs> would, would like pray over a handkerchief because he couldn't get to a city and they'd take it to somebody and they'd grab the handkerchief and they would get healed. Like just Weird, crazy stuff, right? Well, why don't we see things like that? You'd find that in the church, there's kind of a movement that happened in the church a couple decades ago, um, and the desire of this movement was good. That's all right. I'll just figure it out. The desire of this movement was to see more people saved, but they thought that the way to see more people saved was to keep the cringe factor out of church to keep weirdness out of church, to keep things that were unexplainable out of church and to make it more palatable to somebody that didn't have a church background. And so things became very formulaic. You had a certain number of t there certain songs you could sing. Uh, it had to be very attractive to outsiders, uh, an attractional church. And so there was a lot of emphasis that went on 
um, with lights and music and, and format. And so it felt like the world but had a kingdom connection to it. There you go, in Jesus' name. And so, but what unintentionally happened from that is it really quenched the Holy Spirit because some things that were God wanting to do some things felt like that would be less attractional to the outside world. So let's keep that thing out of church. And then God started showing up in churches and like there would be gold dust coming from the ceiling. And everyone's like, well, surely somebody's put gold dust in the air conditioning vents or, you know, there'd be angelic visitations or these things called glory clouds. And they're like, can we get that out? Because that's going to freak out unbelievers. I'm like, you know what? When 120 people all started speaking in another language, that probably would have freaked some people out too. Yet the church grew by 3,000 in one day. And I think the unintentional, con, uh, um, the unintentional consequence of this seeker-friendly movement was that it actually quenched the Holy Spirit and kept them out. I don't think that was the intention of it, would you? Um, but yet, that's what, exactly what happened. And the problem is these churches grew. They grew fast. And money came in. And boy, does that change things. Because now we can build bigger buildings. And we can have more people. And we can have more churches. And we have all the signs of what looks like success. And yet the bigger the church got, the smaller the power got. And now I've seen a lot of these pastors now, and I've got friends in this area who have had successful church plants that are going, we're just not seeing the power. We're not seeing healings. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm filled with the Holy Spirit anymore. And some of them even just change their doctrine to say that God doesn't do those things anymore that he did in Acts chapter 2. I don't want to change my doctrine because of my experience. I want to change my experience because of my doctrine and my theology. So if I'm not seeing miracles, I'm not going to start saying God doesn't do miracles. I'm going, God, how do we get miracles happening in the church again? So I want you to say this with me. Rain from heaven streams within me. Rain from heaven streams within me. I want to read from you from Genesis chapter 7. And this might be kind of an odd text for you for what I'm going to talk about. But this is about the flood with Noah. Now in Noah's day, and we're going to start in verse 11. I think we've got it on there. In Noah's day, there was a lot of sin that was on the earth. So bad, in fact, that Noah was the only, and his family were like the only people that were righteous on the whole earth. And so God decided he's going to cleanse the earth. He's going to destroy it by water. Now, I want you to read this in the context, theologically, because it's hard to think about the destruction of all of creation as a positive thing. No doubt there's loss. But the reality is what God did was a cleansing of the earth. All sin was removed by what he did when he sent the flood. And it said in verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, yeah. and the floodgates of heaven were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So when God chose to cleanse the earth of sin, what he did was two things. Now, we know that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, but I don't care how hard it rains. The earth isn't going to flood just with 40 days of rain high enough to cover Mount Everest. That's what it was. It took the rains from heaven and the springs from the earth bursting forth. Remember, until this moment, rain had never come. It was the springs came up from the earth that actually watered the earth, right, in, in the Garden of Eden. So it was these springs bursting forth and the water from heaven. And so both of those things caused a, a flood that eliminated all imperfection and all sin from the earth. And only Noah's family survived. This is a picture of what revival is for us. Where revival brought the sin or the death of sin in Noah's day, where the flood did, revival does for us now. So revival is meant to bring the death of sin within us, but it's also meant to change the world around us. And it happens when there's rain from heaven and springs in us. Jesus said, those who believe in me, springs of living water will flow from them. And revival happens when there is rain from heaven and when there are springs of living water in us that burst forth. It's both of those things happening. It's not one or the other. Now, if you're a Pentecostal 
like I became a Pentecostal, you're just praying and waiting for the, the, the rain from heaven to come. God, send revival, send revival, send revival, and God will. The rains of heaven will come, but somehow we've missed out on the spring of living water that lives within us. And we don't realize that I have as much a part to play in revival as God does. Because I need to surrender my heart, and I can have a revival in me that means the springs burst forth. And I can also pray for the rain of heaven for God to send revival and to show up in meetings just like he did a couple of weeks ago and touch people just like he did Lorenzo. It's both of those things happening at the same time. There's a personal revival that's happening, but I'm also believing for a massive worldwide corporate revival that God sends when his glory, like the rain in Genesis, comes on the earth and people are touched. Men and women, young and old, they will see visions, they will prophesy, and they will see freedom come to their world. It's where we'll see the fulfillment of Isaiah 61, where there's freedom from captives and release from darkness for prisoners. And then they will return to the places long devastated. They will renew cities. That happens when there is an inner personal revival that happens through repentance and forgiveness. Those are the two key elements for revival happening in us. When I learn how to repent of my sin, and when I learn to forgive as often as I need to forgive and make those two things a pattern of my lifestyle, then I experience personal revival and the streams of living water. The living water's in me. If I believe in Jesus, the water's in me. But sometimes it gets stuck. It gets stopped up. And I need the Holy Spirit plunger of repentance and forgiveness to uncork the stream so that the living water can flow from me. So now instead of waiting for revival to come from heaven, I'm bringing revival everywhere I go. I get to experience the full fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, forgiveness, self-control, all those things I experience in full because I have learned to live a life of repentance that brings revival here. But it's not just for me. It means that I can also pray that somebody who's not even a Christian yet gets rained on in the middle of a service and the demons that have been oppressing this guy are going, we don't like rain. I didn't bring an umbrella. We're caught in the rain and we're going to make a mess. And that's what happened. And we can go, ha, huh, you can't stay anymore. And he gets delivered and set free as a result. Revival is both of those things happening at the same time. Yeah, so what Clayton is describing there is um, personal, like a personal continuous ongoing revival that you can just set your heart in a, in a posture before the Lord and, and um, walk into and for the rest of your life be in that place. Um, sometimes people have heard the word remnant. It's thrown around a lot right now. But the remnant, um, God always had uh, a faithful remnant. He always had a faithful remnant. And it is those people through, the, through Scripture um, that lived before him with a heart of absolute devotion to everything he is, like fully devoted to the Lord. One example is from 1 Kings chapter 19. And Elijah is, is thinking that he's the only person on the, on the planet like serving the Lord. He's like, I'm worn out. I'm the only one left. And God goes, I have 7,000 more people just like you. <laughs> so, so there's always, there is, so there is this faithful group of people, right? So it's that the, the just choose, I'm going to live devoted to the Lord. And then it's, you know, God empowers us into that lifestyle of just living personal, continuous, ongoing revival. Um, the other part that, that we're also talking about, and he mentioned just a moment ago, is, is great times through all of biblical history, but also regular church history. There's great times and a lot of times where the Holy Spirit would come and uh, in a very powerful way and impact the whole room, impact the whole nation. Cities would change. Um, at, at maybe you've heard of the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening. They're two quite famous uh, periods of revival. One was from the 1700s and one was from the 1800s. There's much, much more than just that. Maybe you've heard of Azusa Street. So the Azusa Street began in 1906, but hot spots of revival where the Holy Spirit was poured out on large groups of people at certain times through history often happened because the nation had, was struggling with all kinds of civil war, immorality was increasing in, in, in ways that was freaking people out, like thinking they were going to lose a nation. At the period of civil war, there was more drunkenness and debauchery and immorality and unfaithfulness than, than people could fathom, right? But the Holy Spirit, God, saw that 
we needed him to move. And so the Holy Spirit was poured out at the time of the Civil War in, in revival. And so God does that, um, and it's an unprecedented very strong times where cities are really impacted and changed. And from pre-revival where there was a lot of immorality happening, post-revival, God is the one that's done the cleanup because the Holy Spirit has come so powerfully and he's won hearts to himself because he's been powerful in, in, to do uh, great healings, great miracles, encounter people himself in a way that they find him irresistible. And that's what I think he's really doing right now on the back of 2020, in 2021, and what we're seeing is it, we, it seems like a massive increase in the evil in the land, but it's actually not that. It's God is doing the exposing on what has always been there, right? And so with the increase of exposure, we can be thinking, oh my gosh, we're going to lose the country. <laughs> oh my gosh, is this the end times? <laughs> it's actually not. Every generation thought that they were going to be the last generation because they faced the same similar types of things that we're facing right now. Like even Paul, even the first century Christians thought Jesus was coming back in the first century. And now we're like uh, 20 on. <laughs> Still got, oh, I think we're the last ones. Can I share a scripture on that, the Mark chapter 13 verse? Because that's a good point. You said that often revival follows these great periods of social turmoil, political turmoil. And this is Jesus. He said, when you hear wars and rumors of wars... Wars and rumors of wars. Like on the back of the Civil War is a great revival. Do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Do you see that? Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. Some people think wars and rumors of war, Jesus is coming back. And everyone keeps waiting for Jesus to come back as if these signs are signs that his, his second coming is imminent. And Jesus himself said they're not. So wars and rumors of wars aren't an indication that Jesus is coming soon. It's an indication that there's more to come. Let's not misinterpret Scripture and just wait for Jesus to come back and gather with our few and circle the wagons, build a bunker, whatever it is you want to do, and just Jesus come quickly. That's not, he's saying no. When those things happen, there's still much more to come. So don't just sit there waiting for him to come back. Because what's coming is not necessarily his second coming, but his revival to the earth. It's bringing heaven to earth. So these are the keys to go where the, the world keeps getting worse. God's about to break out and we're about to see revival. And these revival movements tend to get stronger generationally. So what happened in the Great Awakening was even stronger at Azusa Street. And I'm believing is going to be even stronger in our generation too. It is, it is uh, really, there is a last days revival. There is a last days, um, uh, well, reformation too. There is a last days revival um, and um, I don't want to talk about that so much right now as what does happen, what are some of the things that we know about that, that previous from previous um, revivals and I'll talk about Azusa Street for a couple of minutes because um, being uh, one that affected, it, it, Azusa Street started in California but it eventually went around the whole world and it was called the second Pentecost because the Holy Spirit came again in such power that today, just a little bit more than 100 years later, the church has been radically changed still today because of what happened at Azusa Street. The Holy Spirit got poured out in ways that had, uh, had been unprecedented and unseen for quite a few hundred years previous. And so in Azusa Street, um, they had a building that would not be too unlike this one. The only difference is they didn't have comfortable chairs. They had like bare strips of wood that they kind of <laughs> made out of. They, it was very, um, the man who was overseeing it, he had no money. So they could barely get the building, right? But once they did get the building, they had to, it was it used to have barn animals in it. So they had to clean all the straw out uh, and the feet, you know, whatever comes with animals. And they put some bare chairs down and put like a little center stage um, the preaching was not the emphasis. The emphasis was on just sitting before the Lord and worshipping, yeah. worship. And it went on day and night, hours and hours and hours and hours. And to the point where uh, uh, people would bring their kids and the kids would fall asleep under the, under the, the you know, badly made like bench chairs. The kids would fall asleep and then wake up and have their dinner. But the presence of God was so strong and thick in the room. One of the stories from that time is from the kids who's six years old and 10-year-old kids, would, uh, one woman said, I, would, I loved going there and taking a nap and then because, because after worship had been happening for a long time, 
I would wake up finally again as a kid, right? And then I'd run around kicking around the glory cloud. This is an eyewitness account who was in the room in the Azusa Street Revival. She would run around the room because as a little kid joyfully going, oh my gosh, what is this? And it moves, it's like a cloud. (laughs) And it was actually glory. One day she um, thought, I'm going to take some of it home with me. So she got a a jar with a lid from her house and and tried to put some of the cloud... (laughs) It's God, right? It's the glory cloud. She tried to put some of, the, some of God into the jar and put a lid on it <laughs> so, so she could take it home and have it the next day at her house. But, but, of course, God doesn't work like that, does he? Can't put God in a box or a jar. But this is, these are just some of the stories, right? Another story is, um, and this one's quite a graphic healing story, but a pretty great one, all the same. There was a man who just a year or two before the Azusa Street Revival had lost his arm in a really bad accident uh, at work. Like, literally, it got worked, um, pulled off. And in, 19, in the early 1900s, you can imagine, medicine was pretty bad. They didn't have the technology and the surgery capabilities that we have today. So he just had, like, a tiny stump. Um, anyway, he could not work. He could not support his family. And so from that accident until when he got healed at Azusa, I'll tell you the healing second in a moment, he was um, destitute, poor, broke, couldn't support his family depressed, right? And then he hears, oh my gosh, there's miracles over at that place called Azusa. Well, he walks in and the very first meeting that he just walks in, he, as he walked into the meeting and shuffled around to some place, he stood there in the meeting in the presence of God and an arm grew out of his body. And it wasn't pretty because some of the descriptions, oh, oh, you can read the eyewitness accounts, right? Some of the descriptions were that um, um, the bone grew out first, and then the muscle grew out and attached itself, and then the skin came on after that. So that's a bit graphic, isn't it? Someone said, whoa, I know. <laughs> so if I, was, I, I love anatomy. Like, that's my world of sciencey stuff is, and has, was in the past. And so uh, it's quite a graphic thing to think about God doing a miracle like that in front of people's eyes who have no idea what's going on. Like, what, like the, it, like miracles that take the language, you don't have words, because I'm even trying to explain it to you now, and I, it's hard to comprehend that kind of a miracle. We know that's completely impossible, but we know we follow a God who has, there's nothing is impossible for God, right? And that's just one of the many kinds of miracles that happened in Azusa. So, so um, the, the man obviously gave his life to Jesus and got his life back on track because of this miracle. But the miracle stories just kept drawing more and more and more people. Um, Eventually, people from tons of different nations around the world came because they knew God was so powerfully turning up in the place. But here's what happened to people who would come with the wrong agenda. With church, people do come with wrong agenda, right? The religious people would come to those meetings and sometimes sit in them. And if we have our moments here. We have open mic moments, right? And I always pray like this. I'm like, oh, God, we're going we're gonna to keep doing this because we really want to have prophetic words. We really want to give the space for people to really grow and learn and do this and, and really allow Holy Spirit to be the one giving the words in, in the moment, in the meetings. I'm always praying along the lines of this story that I'm about to tell you because I know if we honor God that way, that he, he's the one that can really um, bring any kind of correction so in Azusa Street, if anybody got up to do the open mic moment like we do, if anybody got up to go give a word that wasn't actually from God, the moment they just stand up in the pulpit and start to talk from their own good ideas, their own human initiative, right? The moment they got, the Holy Spirit would come on them so powerfully that literally the eyewitnesses in the room it would just sit there and watch the person and the person would just slink down like slink right down, back down into their seat and go sit down. The presence of God did it. What I'm saying is the conviction of the Holy Spirit did it. No human needed to really step up and go correct that person because God was so powerfully in the room and he was the one really doing all the dealing in hearts because he knows every heart, right? So I pray for that in our meetings. Yeah, me too. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. I'm like, Lord, Lord, get him. <laughs> but when, when there's a strong sense of the presence, you know, you don't have to correct stuff and you don't have to manage stuff and you don't have to, like God doesn't need management. 
You know what I mean? And, and so uh, my favorite part about the Azusa Street Revival is the guy that uh, initially led it was blind in one eye, and guess what his name was? <laughs> Seymour. I just thought that was funny. There's, and, a, there's, a, there's a real... There's just a few things with the Azusa yeah. Street and revivals in general. Uh, the most politically incorrect and the religiously unaccepted things that happen in culture. <laughs> like, like they break and bust through all of people's wrong thinking and wrong saying and wrong doing and they, they bust through the political arena and they bust through the religious arena and they're confronting and they're uh, um, in a ways that make people... You either you're forced to make a choice. I'm all in with God or I'm not. There's no, there's no middle ground. There's no black... Like, it's very black and white. There's no, like, um, oh, one foot in this, one foot not in this. And that's the... That, so, when God shows up like that, when God shows up with such power and revival like that, people really are confronted with the choice they have to make. And it's Joshua that said, choose this day who you'll follow, right? It's almost like God again saying, choose this day who you're going to follow. Yep. Let's finish with this. So, there's, there's, there's some key things to pick up about revival. She already mentioned that when there were just uh, like revival history is pretty amazing to read about. We can give you some great resources if you're looking to read more stuff on it. Um, and just because God did it that way before doesn't mean he'll do it again that way because he can do whatever he wants. But it's good to pick up on some of the keys to how we are to respond to the times. OK, so if we know that most major revivals that happen in our world happen right on the back of incredible social turmoil. Do we have any social turmoil? This was pre-Instagram. They had social turmoil. Imagine that. Um, political turmoil on the back of wars and incredible uh, sin, like times of sin, just like what Noah had, right? On the back of the, in other words, the worse the world seems to get, the closer we are to seeing revival. But one of the biggest key elements of that is that God's people responded to those times with fervent prayer. The Bible says the fervent prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. It means that they didn't stand there talking about how bad it was. They devoted themselves to God and to prayer. They fervently prayed. Like they didn't, they, they weren't going, it's so bad, Jesus, please come back. In fact, in the early church in, in Thessalonica, that's what was happening, is there was a church that was being so oppressed by Rome that they change their theology to say that Jesus is coming back very quickly. The book of 2 Thessalonians corrects the eschatology of the Thessalonians by the Apostle Paul. Because what happened is they were going, Jesus is going to come back soon because we can't imagine him not doing it. We can't put up with this anymore. And Paul goes, no, no, no. We actually don't know when he's coming back. But I want you to learn to endure hardship. And I want you to learn to pray and to be a faithful witness in the middle of this. So Paul is telling them, stop waiting for Jesus to come back and do what he told us to do. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So our response to these times that we're in are to pray, to devote ourselves to him, to become people of fervent prayer, and to humble ourselves. You know the part of revival that I can control? It's the amount of revival that's happening in me. So when I'm praying, it's also a time of confession and repentance. It's a time of forgiving. And it's a time of being able to hear and obey all that God's telling me to do. If we devote ourselves to prayer, God promises in Second Chronicles, he'll actually heal our land. If we'll humble ourselves, devote ourselves to him and pray, he will heal our land. Healing comes as the rain from heaven. And it means that where he sends rain, and by the way, when God sends rain, it falls on everybody. The stream of living water I have goes wherever I go. And so people will get freshed by the Jesus coming out of me, but the rain falls on everybody. Falls on the Lorenzos, falls on the Ralphs, falls on the Sammies, it falls on the Claytons. And so I want both of those things happening at the same time. Amen? Should we pray? Mm, yeah. So um, in Zechariah... Dave got some. Do you have a word? Oh, yeah. Come on up then, because before you pray. I don't read hand signals very well. <laughs> uh, is it okay if I honor you, you guys today? Is it okay? 
Rumi's like, me. <laughs> I, I asked Brent if it'd be okay. And so if it's, if it's bad, it's Brent's fault. <laughs> no, but there's been something on my heart to honor you, you all for a while. And as I, as today, as you guys are up here, and I'm just praying to honor you, honestly, just to press in to, to do that with y'all. And as you were talking, I'm just very grateful for the foundation we have today. I'm very, I'm very grateful for where we are today. And I know all the steps and things that you guys have done to, to, to be, for us to be here today. And I'm more than words can describe grateful for that. Um, and I, I, so I just want to share this word. This is the third time I've had this word for you, Romy, is that you're a general. And I've had this word one time at a testimony, one time after a home church, and it comes up the same way every time. Is it out, as you know, I, was, I went to war after 9-11, and it's not tremendous controversy to say there was people who had no will to fight, there was people who had no weapons to fight, but they still wore uniforms and things, and I'm not being critical, it's just kind of the way that happens. But you are a general with an arsenal, and that you're a general with the will to fight the way God fights. And so that when, when Jesus walked up to that fig tree, it wasn't the season for figs, but it had leaves, he went up, he cursed it, you know. Had it become the season for figs, I would have had leaves. The other trees maybe didn't have leaves, but they didn't need fruit. But you have the leaves and the fruit and the will to fight the way God wants to fight, and that's you. And I just want to make sure that you <laughs> get that. And Clayton, you're a father of glory. Is it not just a pastor, not just a teacher, but that you are a father when we see glory come, when we see divine healing come, when we see revival come, when we see people's lives changed, when we see all the things manifesting that you're teaching on, is that we're going to say Clayton was a father of this glory. He was a father of this glory. And so I want to, if, you, if people can come up here and help me pray for them, I want to pray for you and honor you. And I hope this is okay that you just jumped in. All right. Lord, I thank you for Clayton and Romy. Lord, I thank you for what they've done and what they're going to do. I, thank, I am thankful that we are in this church and, and, and that we are just led by them. And Lord, I pray and confirm everything that you have in their lives. Lord, I pray that you bless them. I pray that you give them more and more wisdom and revelation, Lord. I pray that more glory falls on them, that they have more words and more insights and more teachings and more power, and that they flow in everything that you've called them and gifted them and allotted them for their ministries, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks, guys. I didn't know that was coming. <laughs> I received that, yeah, for sure. And Rami, you are a general, you know that? And that's from a Navy guy calling you a general. He didn't call you an admiral. <laughs> my, our street address is War Admiral Road. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, that's very humbling. I, I really appreciate that. And, uh, and, I, and I received that. And God's raising up an army. He's not recruiting to a country club. No, right, right. I'm in. I'm in. He's raising up an army, and there's a war to fight. And we're looking for fellow warriors. They're going to step up and fight for your families, fight for your kids, fight for the generations to come, fight for your marriages, fight for your own revival. That streams of living water will flow from you. You're not dried up, you're just stuck. And God can get rid of that. And you'll be a blessing to many. Can we pray? You want to pray for a revival? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know what? It's just, again, align your heart right now, just a posture before the Lord. And um, when I say that, I mean it's the humble posture of your heart. It's a heart, heart bowed low before the King of Kings, Jesus, right? The posture of your heart so that uh, it's actually talking, asking you to really um, set aside ego, set aside the pride stuff so that the posture of your heart 
can take that proper posture of worship before the one man, Jesus Christ, who's worthy of it all, right? Um, so God, I do pray. Uh, actually, it's Zechariah, and it's chapter 12, verse 10. It's um, that you would pour out upon us a spirit of real prayer, a spirit of real supplication, that fervent prayer that we would be people who understand what it is to give ourselves to really seek your face and to really pray and to seek what it is you want in the earth. It's your will be done, your kingdom come, (laughs) no matter the cost to my life. And I pray people here would understand what it means to pray that kind of a prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, no matter the cost to my life. I pray for laid down lovers of Jesus. I pray that we would be laid down lovers of Jesus with that posture of our heart so low before you, taking in then everything that you want to give us and expanding us to the place where we can be then people who really do carry around your glory. We are created as vessels of glory, carriers of his presence, right? And so God, we give you permission to increase our capacity and blast away things in us that have um, hindered our ability to carry glory and carry your presence or hindered its flow through our lives. So we just give you permission to just blast that stuff away out of us. God, we repent of hanging on to wrong things and we renounce wrong things that, that we've allowed, wherever we've allowed that. God, um, But God, I also pray with that repentance and with that renouncing, that then we would not sit back feeling guilty and living with regret because that's just another hindrance, right? So, Lord, I just pray, fill people up now. Just fill people up, fill people up. And I pray that you even feel that he'd be, um, you'd be feeling him pushing out the capacity, your capacity. You'd feel him pushing out your ability to carry more of him. So fill them up, God. It's, the scripture is be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, it's be filled, be continually filled. Be filled and be filled again. Like keep being filled with him. And to the point where you're expanded, but you also can't contain it. And it's overflowing and falling out of you, overwhelming you and then... That's the stuff that touches other people. And so I just pray, God, that people would be full, really full and flowing, flowing, flow through us, Holy Spirit. I pray baptize people and touch people with fire in this room. You really would touch people and that they'd feel something in the spirit even of change. Something's happening in them. God, I pray for those that haven't yet got the gift of tongues. Bubble that up on the inside of them and let them just start to flow with the language of heaven. It's an angelic language and it's given to you for your own strengthening, for your own increase in the spirit. And for those that do have the gift of tongues, God, I pray, I pray that we use it more. I pray that we understand it's a tool given to us so that if we're having a bad moment or a bad day or a bad week, we can exercise and use that gift. And it literally brings us back into that place of being connected with the Spirit of God again immediately. It's like a reach, a changing of our mental attitude because we've just set ourselves into the Spirit of God and recognize the Spirit of God. We, we live in... We live the spirit realm's all around us, very active, right? But the, 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 the attention that we give to that, the recognition that we give to that is what changes us and brings us into a place of living in the fullness of the spirit daily. And so God, help us be led by the spirit every single day. Help us be led by the Spirit every single day. And I pray there'd be great willingness. Grow our faith. Raise our faith. Grow our faith. Help us do things that might need, um, you know, we exercise it too, right? God puts it in our heart, but we're responsible to exercise it. So help us exercise our faith. Help us exercise it like exercising the gifts of the Spirit. Help us exercise like you exercise a muscle and it gets bigger through exercise, right? Help us exercise our faith. We just want what you want, God. So help us just live with that. I pray people would know you better, deeper, every single day. I pray people would fall more in love with you every single day. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. It's our purpose. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I pray, I pray we'd be people who actually experience glory, experience your glory in a really strong way. Um, 
I pray for the increase of people's sight because I see in the spirit. So I, can, I just pray for impartation for that of people here, that they literally would uh, be able to see in the spirit, that there'd be an increase in that. There'd be an increase in other, other ways that people catch revelation. I pray for that, Father. And I pray that then people, when they do receive revelation, that they grab it. <laughs> By faith, we grab it. By faith, you might see something or hear something or feel something. Chase that down right? So God, help faith go on the back of that so people can really chase that down. Yeah. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.